Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Leaders have accountability. Leaders have responsibility. People who in the front line has power. People in the front line who is who is who is getting the orders, who is who is turning them into products, designing products, releasing drawings, moving around parts and materials, they have power. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind. In the process. Hey, everybody. Our guest today is Dr. Anu Rathnindi, and I am so excited to have uh, Dr. Rathnindi uh, on the show. He has lived, studied, and worked around the world in Asia, Europe, the United States. He's the president of Aptive Electrical Distribution Systems, Asia Pacific, the world's leader in fundamental technologies shaping the safe, green, and connected future of mobility. Based in Shanghai, where he's joining us from for this episode, he leads the multi-billion dollar business and it's over 30,000 employees and 2,000 engineers in over 20 international locations throughout Asia. And, and this will seem appropriate once you hear the title, he's the author of a book that's just out called Tackling Complexity, Tough Love Interactions to Navigate Uncertainty, Promote Positivity, and Deliver Performance Excellence. Anu, Dr. Rathnindi, thank you so much for being a guest today with us on Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Welcome. Thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's it's our pleasure. And uh, Anu, I am uh, just so eager to jump into this topic of tackling complexity. Uh, before we do that, though, I want to get to know you just a little bit better and want to ask you this question. And you can take us as far back as you like to to answer. What is your earliest memory of yourself as a leader? I, I think I think probably the earliest memory as my leader uh, is probably goes goes back to my father and and I remember uh, this this as much as it sounds uh, it sounds very early part um, I mean I, I grew up in in central farmlands of Sri Lanka and 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 we, I, my my I lived in a big farmhouse we had a lot of coconut trees and paddy fields and so on. And, and I was eight years old. Mm. And, and one day, my father, my mother wanted coconut to, to, to cook, cook a meal for all of us. And my mother generally kind of cook without uh, coconut. And my father was looking for somebody to get coconut and we didn't have anything on the ground. So he couldn't find anybody. Generally, we have people working, uh, but that day he couldn't. And actually, he did climb the coconut tree and and plucked coconuts and, and came back. And I asked my father, and how did you do that? And, and I never seen you doing it. And he was uh, kind of like, like the village master type of, but how do you do it yourself? He gave me a lesson that day. Son, you never ask anybody to do things you can't do yourself. You got to be hands-on, you got to understand this. To me, it was not a leadership lesson per se at that time. But I got the idea, the importance of getting hands on 
and getting down to the ground and ability to master things that we're asking others to master. I think to me, that was the best and first lesson I had, which is still very close to my heart today. Still very close to your heart. And as we talk, I am I'm so curious to see how that works out. Obviously, a leadership principle, not asking people to do things uh, that we wouldn't do ourselves and, or don't know how or some of those things, but how that principle applies in a multi-billion, you know, international, multinational uh, type of organizations. I'm, I'm sure we'll get into that. Well, thank you for sharing that with us. It's it taking us back to the, the coconuts in Sri Lanka. I love that. You know, when this book, Tackling Complexity, uh, I just want to start with, you make this statement, people and organizations are complex. Full stop, people and organizations are complex. And it's one of those statements that for me is, well, yeah. And then I stop and say, oh, wait a minute. No, really? Huh? <laughs> you know, it's easy to say, but to really dive into what that means. Let's talk about complexity. When you're talking about complexity, what do you mean by the word complex or complexity? Then let's take it from there. Exactly. I think, I think that's, that's, that's a great start. I think, let me start with like, for example, if you're, you're driving a fancy car and your, your tire, tire falls apart or, and, and what happened? And it will remain stand still until a mechanic fix the, car, fix the tire. Or imagine you have this, this very fancy Swiss mechanical watch. A gear is jammed. What happened? It is no longer functional until a mechanic fix it. So in both these cases, we, we, you, we loosely use the word they are complex. They're actually not complex. They're complicated. Complicated means very many mechanical parts coming together to form a function like jet engine. It's complicated. But what happens in a rainforest what, what happened in a rainforest if a tree falls apart or even, even uh, a, a lion or, or, or a, uh, elephant die? It is still a rainforest. New leaders forming, new changes happening. Naturally, things are evolving. A country, when a leaders change, a company, when a leaders, um, Leaders, either they change the leader or leader do something wrong or, or leaders sometimes lose the job or newly, what happens? It, it, it doesn't stand still. It just, it changes. So fundamentally complex by definition are the systems where, where they, they learn, the, the, the agents, which is like organization in the people, for example, in a rainforest or, or human brain, these, these little things inside, they continue to learn from each other. They're interactive, they're interdependent. They learn and evolve to a different level. So if you get, for example, uh, in, in a mechanical world, you can measure and cut things and form certain things exactly the way you want it. And you can automate it even to be very precise. But organizations, you, you try to do it, you're gonna break it this way, certain things, it's like mechanically doesn't work that way because there is a certain amount of natural involvement happen. I'm gonna give you a very simple example. It's like how a child is growing. 
when someone at, at let's say let's from a late teenage to late 20s, very critical age, how, when someone growing. So there is, there is there's a natural emergence process is happening. A teenager turning into an adult, the age where the, the lot of changes are happening. So how that transformation happening? So, so to begin with, the complexity means it's changing. It's continuously evolving. Organizational context, with, even without a leader, it is transforming. That's why if you talk to any leader today, they all will tell they are doing a transformation whether it is they're trying to do operational improvement, cultural transformation, digital transformation, the, the footprint changes, everybody's doing transformation. But in reality, there have been a lot of research that 70% of the transformations fail. 70% mm -hmm. of the transformations fail. But all these transformations in general are done by very experienced leaders. They hire lots of consultants. They spend a lot of money. They have very thorough transformation departments, they're going to go from A to B with everything that they know. But in reality, in the process, it actually go from A to C, another level. And that is that natural emergence. All right. What I'm hearing is that the parts are all affected by the other parts, that they are learning and adapting and changing in response to whatever's happening, as opposed to something that might be complicated, which is, you take out one part, the whole thing stops working. All we need to do, replace that part. Exactly. The complicated things can be fixed for almost like a user manual. You can use a user manual and mechanic can fix it. Complex systems, there is no user manual. <laughs> that is why there is no user manual for leadership. Yeah. There is no user manual for a rainforest. There is no user manual for, for how human brain works. I think these are complicated systems, complex systems. They continuously to interact with each other. They're interdependent. They learn and evolve to a better state all the time. So that natural emergence make it very difficult to predict and very difficult to control because that it's almost it's impossible to control because it continues to evolve. There is, that might be one of my favorite quotes in any episode, 140, 150 episodes of this show. That might be one of my favorite quotes. There is no user manual for a rainforest. That is profound and so true. And yet, when we talk about organizations, obviously leadership is possible in complex organizations. And, and you have given us a way to think about this. And you call this the SELA model. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. But before we do, I think you were going down this road, Anu, of some of the, the leadership paradigms that can challenge leaders or that when we're approaching complexity and maybe we're not looking at it through that lens, what are some of the other lenses, some of the paradigms that might get in our way if we're not careful? I think fundamentally, if you start, go back to to beginning of industrial revolution, when, when people went from those who used to work on, on a farms, they start going to factories and owner operators start basically running the factories. I mean, they, they generally wanted labor, right? I think they just wanted labor, not so much knowledge from these, these workers. So that's when um, 
that's when in 1911, Frederick Taylor wrote this book, The Principle of Scientific Management, which essentially says organizations are machines. I mean, he himself was a mechanical engineer. I'm sure he mastered the, the mechanical systems. So basically, we, we need to make treat organizations like machines, a lot of controls and processes, how to control the organization. So, so people don't need to interact with each other. Just, just in fact, you prevent interactions so that uh, you, you drive efficiencies. So fundamental, that philosophy and that continuously evolve all thinking of, of leaders always about, I know what to do. I know how to do the headcount reductions, or you know how to improve it, because it's going to give the exact same output we know that it's going to get. That's the principle. Uh, I think that's, that's the, uh, uh, the whole idea of principle of strong causation, because it works in one place, it will work in another place, and, and determinism, because you can exactly predict what is going to happen. That whole concept is probably what is preventing us to accept the complexity. Because in complexity, we can't predict it continues to evolve. If it continuously evolves, it's kind of hard to teach leadership. It's hard to master leadership because there's no formula. There is no user manual. The current challenge that so many leaders are facing post-pandemic, or we're not post-pandemic, but at least as we've managed it a little bit, and in some places there is a partial return to the office and some are not. And and watching how leaders respond to that new reality, the things have changed. The, the employees in their organizations have changed. They know things and they have experiences now that they can't unknow. And so an adaptive leader, a leader who looks at the complexity is going to recognize that. Now that doesn't mean there's any one solution, but to recognize that there isn't a mechanistic go back to the way things were there's a move forward in some fashion, if I'm understanding you correctly. No, you, you're absolutely right. I think if you, if you talk about this, this work from home and, and a post-pandemic situation, I, I think when, when first pandemic happened, people work from home and everyone is, is Zooming or Teams uh, from home all day long. Actually, quite frankly, that level of interaction is not very much different than that 111 years old uh, Frederick Taylor scientific management. Because we don't see each other, we don't interact. I do my part, you do my part. But if you look, talk to CEOs today and they're all wondering what is our culture now? Without culture, how do I drive productivity? How do I create a flywheel that naturally drives productivity. Mm -hmm. and, and pretty much almost all CEOs mind now, how do we get people back together? Because they're losing that, that culture element of it. Because if you do not have a culture and everyone is doing their little bit and, 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 and you're not really getting the best out of people, people are not motivated by the purpose. So you need to have a strong culture that it, it, it kind of like becoming a tailwind so that it can accelerate the performance. So, so quite frankly, uh, when, when you compare to the home of working from home versus coming in, yes, there is a process to get there. Some are going to the hybrid models and so on, but it is in every leader's mind. How do we get people together and how do we create that culture which is going to accelerate the performance? Yeah, without, uh, without as you said earlier, 
you know, adjusting one element that ruins the whole system. It's it's an interesting complexity uh, type of case. <laughs> so in the book that you, you one of the, the points that you make in and in, in your in our introduction, you know, I shared that you have studied leadership around the world, you've experienced great leaders around the world. And when we say studied, you should know that Anu has a PhD, uh, a couple of master's degrees, you're talking to a very, very studied person, but you've also practically applied these things. And in the book, you mentioned that you've benefited from the best of Eastern and Western leadership philosophies as you think about how to approach complexity. And so in a moment, we're going to get into the SELA model, but I wondered if just to set the table, you might share one or two, like this is some of the best of Eastern philosophy that has helped me in this and Western. Yeah, I, think, I think that's a great point. And, and maybe I'll share a little bit of, my, again, my my uh, childhood story and and when i um i mean i grew up uh and and, and in, in a big family and my parents sent me to sunday school and and sunday school and 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 then one day uh, when my mother and i walking around my sunday school teacher told me that hey i sat for an exam and i passed it really well and i got a gift and so Few days later, there was a function. I didn't even know actually I sat for an exam because I was too young to <laughs> know I did an exam. So it was for me, it's, a, it's another day to pay. Uh, In that book, there was the first phrase I remember extremely well today. It, 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 it said, it, it was written in Pali. It's in all uh, Sanskrit language that, uh, that, that many of the ancient teaching was written about 2,500 years ago. It, 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 it talked about this, the, the manopu bangama, the manosetamana, it basically fundamentally said the power of mind is it's very important that when you do things, you do it with the right mind. Mm. If you do with the bad mind, bad things is going to happen. So there's a lot, lot around it, but but and then there was a story around why it happened. It was kind of very interesting. And 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 they said that uh, this this Buddha had a had a one one monk who was blind, and other monks asked why this monk was blind, and then he explained that in a, in a one of the previous births. So this monk was a doctor, and and then this one uh, uh, one 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 lady came in and said, "Hey, I, my eyesight is not good, and if you treat my eyes, if I gain my eyesight back well, and myself and my kids will be will be." servants to you for the rest of our life. And doctor got really motivated and he actually cured this lady. And as a result, but then lady knew that he has to be servant. So he said, he actually, she actually said, yeah, my eyesight is not really good. Doctor got really angry. Oh, no. put a, put the hot ointment into eyes. And as a result, in, in a following birth, he was monk. I mean, again, I'm eight years old. And this is not a discussion of the, the rebirth is true or not or anything. But to me, I got one lesson. If you do bad things, bad things will happen to you. To me, was it always, always, always in my mind? It was always, always in my mind. If you do bad things, bad things will happen. But if you look at today, if you look at today, how many leaders are in jail? <laughs> how many leaders? I mean, I mean, they are like they have the top degrees. They have top degrees, top universities, but some, somehow it is, and, and not just you go to jail, but even losing jobs. I mean, they, they, they go up, same speed, they come down. 
and they make massive damages to the societies and so on. So to me, one of the fundamental things I learned from ancient systems where I grew up and, and other all that learnings I had is to have a clear mind, good mind. And, and that's why actually, I mean, I actually spent a lot of time how to name this book. And it took a little bit turn at the end. I really, what I really wanted to write the book is be a human before we being a leader. Mm. So that's what I want to write about because we have a fundamental responsibility as human beings to manage ourselves, behave ourselves, that we don't do, do damage to the society and humanity and what we live. I mean, that's a very, very fundamental thing to be a good human being. So that was my biggest lesson from my, from my Eastern side of uh, learning. And then when you go to the Western side of the education, I think that's where you learn a lot of science, a lot of uh, uh, physics, and, 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 then, and then a lot of leadership uh, methodologies and, and, and formulas and equations and this and that. I mean, which is very required because if you can't visualize the outputs and the inputs necessary, so just being, being philosophical around it, you can't manage a large organization. So you need to make sure that your measurement systems, guidance systems, and, and, and a science side of it has to happen. But underneath, we're all human. We're all human. That has to be the basic fundamentals. To me, that's what I'm trying to connect in. It, 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 that both East and West, and that was my objective to connect that together. Uh, and I think that's uh, why I enjoyed the, this book so much. Uh, I love that a book that is currently called Tackling Complexity started as Be a Human First. Yeah, Be a Human Absolutely. First. And you get there in the subtitle, Tough Love Interactions to Navigate Uncertainty, Promote Positivity, Deliver Performance Excellence. So let's uh, let's get into some of this model here. Uh, and thank you for setting the table for us uh, so eloquently. When Let's start with the SELA model. If in approaching complexity and approaching a world that everything is learning and changing and it, we don't have mechanistic control, that's an illusion. The complexity is the reality. You have an approach that you recommend leaders take. So if you could run us through at the high level, just maybe each what each of those letters stands for, and then we can dive in and unpack a few of them. So First of all, the systems thinking, I mean, the whole idea of complexity is, is a system science. I mean, the system science, it comes, there's something called complex adaptive systems. And that's where the whole system theories and complexity science comes in. And, and I, I use this systems thinking as the fundamental to be any leader or any way we want to get it done, you need to have systems thinking. Fundamentally, it comes in to realize that leader will never be able to get his own goals achieved unless the entire organization and all the stakeholders achieve their goals. That's fundamental to understand that. You can't be leader celebrating success when rest of us is rest not. Maybe you can be lucky for a day <laughs> or two. <laughs> it's not going to last. It's not going to last. So that's fundamental. The, the other thing that is very important to understand is organizations change with or without a leader. Child grow up with or without a parents. 
with or without good parents. So the child grow up. Question is how they grow up, mm. to what level they grow up. So we have to understand the organizations will transform. You put a bad leader, organization will emerge to be bad and leaders fail. Put a good leader, organizations will emerge to be good and leaders get things done. That's another thing on a systems thing you need to understand. Third, and, and a most important thing to me is that we have to understand it is like a, what is happening in organizations today. It is like an iceberg. We're looking at the tip of the iceberg, which is about 10%, 10%, and everything else is below. I call it the event when good things or bad things happen, which, which is the tip of the iceberg. Below that, there's so many patterns, so many patterns. And, and below that is the systematic structures and that this is all the organizational rules and policies and decision-making and so on. Yeah. And below that, there's something called the mindset. Organization has a mind. Mm-hmm. Organization has a mind. And underneath is the leadership. Mm-hmm. Leaders create the organizational mindset. For example, some leaders, they're just driving cost, cut, cost, cutting, cost, cutting. And everybody will cut cost anything. I mean, they take risk on the designs, they, 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 they don't fund what is necessary and they damage the environment or something because, because your message is cost, cost, cost. Or, or, or how you how I mean for example I mean it, it's fundamental as it is. If a leader doesn't come to meetings on time, you're sending a mind, you're creating a mindset that doing things on time is not important, and it doesn't take a year, it doesn't take a week, whole organization no on time meetings. That is the mindset. We had to always understand the leaders, every move is being watched. And reacted. So you had to create that mindset, which eventually your executive committee, your finance teams will come up with all these procedures and controllers and so on based on what you say and what you do. Yeah. And that is what eventually going to produce results. To me, that is system thinking. You've got to understand these three. And if you do not do that, you don't get in. So let's let's pause there. So the S in the SELA model stands for systems thinking and that if we want to be effective in leading and addressing complexity, we have to understand systems. We have to understand systems thinking. And I will tell you, this is no surprise to you, I'm sure, how many leaders struggle with that. They struggle to understand that human behavior is so often a product of the system that the human being is a part of and all of those elements that are acting. And so in frustration, they will say, you know, human being, <laughs> team member, employee, <laughs> you need to work harder, be more creative, do all the things, you know, and, and we put the emphasis so often on the individual and their level of effort, failing to realize all of the adaptive and, and elements of the system that are also driving what's happening. And, and as you said, organizations have minds. So I am curious from your perspective, if you have found in your development of leaders, a particular way of helping leaders focus on, become aware of the system, of broadening their perspective. Is there an approach that if somebody's like, hmm, I hear what you're saying Anu, but how do I get there? How do I open my mind to thinking that way? So you, 
you read earlier the subtitle of my book is Tough Love Interactions. So systems thinking is tough love on yourself, tough love interaction on yourself. That's why systems thinking and the next one internalized, which, which will come in, in a bit, it is, it's a tough love. You, you have to be tough on yourself. I mean, if you look at actually leaders, they're really tough on themselves. So, I mean, they study really hard. They work so hard. They, 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 most of the, most people don't have time to spend with the, with the family and so on. They're really tough. So I think it is important for people to understand the reason why they work so hard. They understand the power and the signal and message that they're sending with everything that they do to importance of transforming the system and organization to do. To me, and I mean, you people learn certain things in a very difficult way, very painful way, because if, if leaders do not have the systems thinking, eventually it is going to emerge to a negative way. Consequences are really bad. There is enough for us to understand around the world because we, we said earlier there are more transformations fail than successful. When transformations fails, leaders lose jobs and, and many others do that. I think it's very important to analyze these things and have that, that thinking to understand it is that whole system we need to get together. For example, I mean, organization are designed with various functions, uh, HR, engineering, finance, supply chain, and so on, and then the business units, regions, manufacturing, process. But any one of them has no meaning. There is no value of having the best HR. If, if your sales team doesn't know how to secure orders, and if engineers and operations doesn't know. So any value creation is cross-function. Mm. And that is that, is that inter power of interactions you need to get into. So, so no leader can have time to go and check every move is happening right. So that's why you need to have that flywheel, that automatic system that is going on. So that understanding that interconnectivity and how the boardroom and the shop flow is interconnected is extremely powerful for us to do that. So there's enough case studies around, enough experience around every day for us to see the power of systems thinking. And keeping it in front of ourselves, <laughs> you know, that's the discipline and the, the tough love. I love that starting with <laughs> tough love for yourself. And yes, you go there with internalizing and uh, the, the next, the I and the model of internalizing and understanding your, uh, your mind and your own motivations. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because I thought that was particularly from a human centered leadership perspective, just so vital. No, that's absolutely, I think internalize is it is it's truly your mind, I mean, it's heart. So it's really, really take into insight. I mean, a lot of people say that how to motivate people, how to motivate people. I mean, the motivation has to come from inside. Motivation has to come from inside. So people are willing to give 120%, right? I mean, you, you just don't follow the rules, come in at eight o'clock and do it five o'clock and taking your coffee breaks and lunch breaks and so on, versus you're really motivated with, with the passion to do that. So internalize is, is that getting into the heart. The leaders start with internalizing, asking the first question, why do you want to be a leader? Asking the question, why do you want to be a leader? I mean, if you do a 
survey on why you want to be a leader. And number one is always the money. Because <laughs> we know a lot of leaders are paid well <laughs> by looking at the annual reports and, and kind of lifestyle they have. And then the power, because they're very powerful. They seems powerful and they make a lot of decisions. They can hire, fire, a lot of things they can do. And they're famous. They get front row seats and a VIP. Pres and on. I call those purse, power, and prestige. Exactly. But, but if you become a leader with any one of these three as your high priority, you guarantee to fail. Guarantee to fail. Because you can have a lot of money, but you don't know how to do the job. You don't know how to get it done. So first you would not be able to keep the job and, and, and even if you have so, so, so much frustration. So power, I mean, leaders really, do they have power? I mean, I have run large businesses around the world and I will be the last one to say that leaders have power. Leaders have accountability. Leaders have responsibility. People who in the front line has power. People in the front line who is, who is, who is getting the orders, who is, who is turning them into products, designing products, releasing drawings, moving around parts and materials, they have power. There is it power, it's, there's accountability. That is just, thank you so much for that. That's so important to realize. And uh, you know, when we're talking about complex systems, the influence that we have over in, uh, on the system, we don't have power. That's a mechanistic way of thinking. Absolutely, we have no power. I mean, of course you can mechanically can hire and fire anybody you want. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm a CEO, I can get all my friends and classmates to my executive committee. Hello, you have to deliver from next month, <laughs> right? So, so, and then how is the rest of the people going to think it? So, so you think you have power to exercise. You're sure you can do it today, but tomorrow the organization is going to be a different thing. So that's wrong. And the famous, I mean, if you ask any leader, the last thing they want is to having 10 cameras running around and every move and they just want to, uh, you know, I always joke about when you have these big meetings and big meals and annual parties and so on. And, and I'm like, I'll, I'll be very happy to, you know, go back and get into my pajamas and have a simple sandwich on my balcony or something. We'll be more relaxed, but you need to do these things because it's a part of being with the system and, and motivating. So I don't think, I, I will be surprised actually, uh, many leaders enjoy being famous. Probably they enjoy being simple whenever they can. So really then why you want to be there? Ask that question. What motivates you to go to work every day and, and lead an organization? I think fundamentally have to, have to understand that. If it is not understood, it is going to be very difficult. That's what I call it internalizing. You have to keep asking that question. And what are, when you think of the motivations, the internal motivations, that drive healthy, productive leaders who can address complexity and show up every day to do that. What are some of those motivations that as we do that check on ourselves, we should be looking for? Well, I, 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 exactly. I think I will, I'll share your story and then I will share my own leadership. Uh, what is my motivation? So whenever I travel to some of my sites, uh, manufacturing sites of my people, after doing the regular things, manufacturing reviews, shop floor walkthrough, and just regular things. And then I started creating, I want to spend one and a half hours with, with the young talent and, and just myself and the young talent. 
So, so I ask this question. So when I get there, you know, generally they practice questions and, and they kind of know how to handle it. So I want to get out of that like prepared questions mode and, and, and I want to get like a very friendly environment. So I kind of, kind of have several tricks. When my mother was in high school, she got pregnant and her boyfriend ran away. And my mother's parents and the school all said, go for an abortion and get back because a young girl cannot do that. And, and she decided to keep the baby and I am that baby. Everything I do is to prove my mother that her decision was right. And that is a purpose. And that is a purpose. So you need to talk to yourself deeper to understand that that's why internalize, internalize. It, it is very personal. Not everybody has the same, 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 same meaning. Not everybody has the same person to, to ask that question. And, 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 and people told me different things. I gave a piece of paper, I asked them to write down and then take a look at it every six months. Do not deviate your path. Do not deviate your path because then we, then we are going to get wrong. So when I was young, as an engineer and I grew up, my, I mean, I get really motivated to do stuff. And, and, and when my boss asks something, I want to do stuff, change stuff, I feel pretty good. Then when I become a manager, I thought my job is to help people solve their problems. I feel pretty good. I thought that's the purpose. That's what feel pretty good because my people have problem. I can help it. I can, that's pretty good. But about 10 years ago, I realized that what a wrong idea that is the leadership. Well, that's the wrong leadership. I realized, and because I started, I, when I coach people, I see them growing and they're building an amazing spiritual connection with me. So I realized my job as a leader is to help build, help make my people better people, better leaders. Understanding the human side of it, understanding the leadership side of it, and make them feel better. I think, I mean, particularly, you know, the leaders between mid thirties and early forties. I mean, that's a very stressful age for leaders. Very, very stressful with the family, uh, I mean, the parents, the kids. The, I mean, this is very stressful age. Figuring out what is the right thing, how to get, how to control it, how to manage yourself. It's a, and, and I started doing that. I, I love coaching that, that age group. And then I realized, oh my God, this is amazing. These people are really building a spiritual and they're growing. And 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 I I and my my job, I, I had six years, and and actually my attrition rate is zero. Mm. Nobody left in my leadership team. And the amazing bond and the productivity is, is really high because they're like building this connection. It's like my father, my teacher. And I will never let him down. I never let him down. I mean, that's an amazing motivation. So, so you, you're doing two things right, right? I mean, obviously you are getting your things done because you meet your financial performance because you've got a group of people who really work hard to deliver that. But at the same time, you're making people better. I think that to me, there's nothing more important than that. Nothing more important than that. And that gets into the third I in the model, which is interaction and our knowing our people, uh, the tough love interactions with them that you talk about. And so we start with paying attention to the system. We internalize and looking at our own leadership, our own motivations and getting deep about that and making sure 
that our motivations are on a firm foundation. They're not power, prestige, money, all of those things, which, you know, those are human things, but if that's why we're leading, we're not going to succeed. And then the interactions, the tough love interactions. What is a tough love interaction? Well, the first of all, the interactions, I think if you look at maybe that this is fundamentally uh, a lot of leaders, they love to spend time in the boardroom and keep reviewing the matrix after matrix after matrix. So you, you generally talk to the same group of people, your direct report, your executive committee, they, they tell all these beautiful stories. But, but is that truly the pulse of the front line? Pulse of the, of, the, of, the, of the people in the rest of the organizations? Because many of them don't want to bring the problems up. So you don't know what is really happening unless you don't telescope, go deeper to find out. So it is absolutely important for leaders to telescope the organizations, to understand how things really happen. So mm -hmm. I call it the connecting from the boardroom to the shop floor. That is very important to understand. So when you go and interact, that, that's why you need to interact. If you don't interact, you don't know your people. So, so just on a formal setting, formal presentation, because you know they practice this presentation so many times before they come in and <laughs> present to the CEO. <laughs> they they have 20 rounds of pre-reviews and and, and 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 all sort of things. So you can't really judge someone from a presentation. And, and also you don't know whether this stuff he did or somebody else did and he's coming and presenting. So to know that you need to telescope the organization go deeper. So the reason why it is tough love, you know, when you interact organizations, when you, you're going to find out actually problems, you're gonna find out problems. So you should be prepared to confront that reality. Right. At the same time, I mean, I mean, maybe in some cases, I mean, pe people will tell you pe pe people are not good. Maybe they're not capable. Maybe that's misbehavior. Confront it right there and, and have that tough love interaction in the sense, give direct feedback. So many of our people, I think I have seen in, in my life many, many times when some leaders were, for example, they're, they're asking their people to go. And, and they're making big cases after that. I, I was told I'm so good for the last five years. I was never told I was bad yeah. or anything I need to improve. But suddenly uh, they said my performance is not good and I'm leaving. Because why? Nobody come to work to have a tough conversation with their people. Yeah. Nobody. Such a critical skill. And it is an act. And I, 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 I so appreciate and I believe in this wholeheartedly that tough conversations and meaningful feedback conversations are an act of love and caring and compassion. Like the gold medalist, Olympic winners and world champions, they all have a coach. There's always a mirror on the wall. Leaders have the responsibility to be the mirror on the wall for our leaders. In fact, they expect us. I want to know where I stand and when I do something wrong for my leader. Quite frankly, you know, oftentimes, sometimes when, when my leader, is there anything on who I can help you? No, just let me know if, uh, if I'm doing anything wrong. And I, I need to know that's to me is the best help I need. And our people need it. So, so that is very important. Uh, you, you have that and, and, and you need to do it to be tough. It needs to be direct. 
it's wrong, ask them to correct. And, 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 and as well, I think as leaders, we need to be very consistent in our messages. Yeah. In one meeting, you can't go and say, hey, let's do operations, forget about the future. Another meeting, hey, future is very important. Let's do innovation and, and forget about today. And, and one meeting, culture is important. Next meeting, you do something totally against the culture. Consistent, your intentions, your, your consistency. I mean, these are really important things. That's why I call it tough love. That's why I call it tough love. It's, yeah. it's not just casual talk. Right. All so right. It's, it's, it's extremely important. <laughs> so important. I love it. Thank you. And I, I'm uh, cognizant of our time and I want to make sure that uh, I don't make you late for your next meeting because we talked about timeliness <laughs> of, of leadership. So the final two elements in this approach to complexity. So we've got systems thinking, we've got the internalization of our motivations and what we're doing, the interaction with people, tough love perspective. The final two are learning and adapting. So it's uh, that we're always learning and we're always teaching and that we ourselves are coachable and teachable. And you modeled that a moment ago. You said, hey, 10 years ago, I believe this. Now I believe this. I learned this. And, and you make a point that every other leadership skill will become obsolete over time, except learning. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think the power of interaction, when you interact the organization, you know what you don't know. You know what you don't know. Maybe the, the culture is not good. Maybe certain products and technology is not good. Maybe certain people are not good. You know a lot of things. And then you gain that knowledge. You gain that knowledge how to do that. So that is the learning part. It's absolutely crucial. Everyone is, everyone is looking for ways to win and how to work with people. These are two problems that everyone is looking to how to be successful and how to work with people. These are really different. So, so, so everyone is looking to, so leaders have this, there has to be continuous leadership. Every other skill is going to be obsolete, except the, the skill of learning will be useful however long you use it. Yeah, absolutely right. So that's why a lot of leaders, I mean, to me, one of my ways of learning, actually I teach. I, I conduct classes. I conduct training classes myself. And I, I do this a day, uh, meetings and sometimes six to nine in the night, I get my senior managers and I teach them something. And I, when, when trainings, I just don't go and just do the opening speech only. And I myself is a trainer and they love it because this is, this is real life interactions and we do it. So to me, they like it. I spend a lot of time on, on, on learning and we need to create a mindset that we are learning and we create an opportunity uh, that for people to learn. Because if, if you think that, this is the principle of strong causation. People think, hey, I did that before. I can, of course, do it again. But you're talking about complexity. You're not talking about mechanical things. Whatever did work there will never work here. Mm. So you have to keep learning. Absolutely. We're talking with Dr. Anurand Ratnindi, the author of Tackling Complexity, Tough Love Interactions to Navigate Uncertainty, Promote Positivity, and Deliver Performance Excellence. Anu, uh, can you tell us where we can connect with you, where people can get this book? Because there is so much value here, we've only scratched the surface, and I would encourage listeners to pick this up and uh, take advantage of the resources here. Where can we find you? <laughs> well, I have a full-time job as a, as, as a leader uh, of, of a business. So, but at the same time, I'm, I'm also available on, on my website, uh, anuratninde.com, and as, as well as on LinkedIn. 
and my book is available in 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 uh, in, in Amazon and in, in Apple Books and and, and all other regular media bands and novels and so as well. I, I love to contribute and help in any way I can to, to make sure that uh, the world has better leaders. I think, I think when the world has better leaders, this is going to be a great place to live. Oh, I, I, you say it. I believe it. I love it. My, I have one final question. We have two and a half minutes left and maybe in two minutes. This is an unfair question, but I'm going to ask it anyway because of your wisdom and experience. We have many leaders in our industries and clients who ask about matrix organizations, one of the more complex, I think, organization types there is. And if you in two minutes had any advice or wisdom for leaders in how to thrive, succeed, and do their best in a matrix type organization with all of those multiple reporting and all of the things that are going on there, do you have any advice or recommendations or wisdom for leaders who find themselves in those organizations? Well, I think the first of all, there is no perfect organization. So if there is a perfect organization, it's like calculating NPV or IRR, there is a formula and everybody will do it. So there is no perfect organization, whether we organize global functions, uh, metrics, regional business unit, and there is no perfect organization. So, so everyone, every leader, what is they're comfortable with or different business model, they, they use different organizations. And, and that's the one thing we need to understand. There's no perfect organization. Number two, I think it is important to understand no matter which way we organized, no matter which way we organize, every value creation job is done cross-functionally. People have to come from different bosses and, and, and do it together. So therefore, I don't think we should get too much buried into this organization charts. We should be focusing, understanding the systems thinking. The whole system has to work regardless how we draw the org charts. Dotted line, solid line, dual line. I don't think we should get buried into that much because if it is the right thing, how can the right thing be different for two different people? Because right thing is one. That's why I conclude in my book, getting things done and tackle complexity and navigate uncertainty comes down to two things, having the right mindset and getting the small things that matter the most done. I don't think we should get buried into this, this, this big conceptual charts and how they work. But if you have the right mindset, because we're all here to create value, we're all here to solve customers' problems, all here to create value to shareholders. And to do that, what we need to do is to get the little things that matter the most right with the right mindset. Get the little things right with the right mindset and be the leader you'd want your boss to be. Anurath Nindi, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.